Well, hey, this is Joey Furjanic, lead pastor of the Block Church. I want to thank you for joining us today. It's an honor to share this time together with you. We hope this message will touch, impact, and transform your life and help take us one step further on our journey to revive every block. What's up, church? How are we doing today? Come on, church. Yeah. If you don't know who I am, I'm Xavier. I'm the Northwest location pastor and uh, honored to be preaching today. Welcome to the Block Church. And I also want to take a moment to welcome all of our physical locations and those who are watching online. You really did choose a great day to be in church. And I'm excited to be here today to bring the word. And uh, I do, however, just want to take a moment. And I want to honor my pastors, Pastor Joey and Lauren. Come on, anybody thankful for Pastor Joey and Lauren, lead pastors of this house. And I'm just so thankful. They're spiritual parents to me. They've, they've taught me a lot. They've taken me under their wing. And I'm just so grateful. And I would encourage anyone um, who is watching right now, listening, uh, to really grab hold of your pastors and uh, to, to draw in close to them, to seek advice, counsel. Uh, it's going to change your life. You don't have to agree on necessarily everything uh, because me and Pastor Joy, for those who were at uh, the Block Guys retreat on the basketball court, uh, we didn't agree there. Um, but, but love trumps it all. And uh, the most important things uh, we do agree upon. And um, I do have the privilege, uh, for those who have been here, uh, we've been going through the book of Acts. We've been taking an adventure through the book of Acts, and we've been in a series called More Life, witnessing and observing the events that took place within the early church and um, some known uh, believers. And this week, I have the privilege of continuing this series, week seven of More Life. And Pastor Pastor Joey saw it fit that my particular topic today that I'm going to cover is some event that takes place that involves some angels and divine intervention. And uh, he decided that he was going to duck out on this one and uh, make me talk about angels and divine intervention. And we're going to cover an event that talks about that things in the supernatural and the unseen. And uh, speaking of the unseen, the supernatural and angels, uh, I don't know about you, but my theology around angels growing up, it didn't really come from the Bible. It actually came from things that I would see on TV, uh, things that have been shown on television shows and coming from Hollywood and things like that. Maybe you can relate. Maybe your theology was crafted around uh, this movie, uh, Angels in the Outfield. Anybody know Angels in the Outfield? Disney Channel classic, okay? Uh, maybe, maybe it wasn't uh, Angels in the Outfield. Maybe it was The Preacher's Wife. Anybody know about The Preacher's Wife? I'm about to get y'all who just cheered for a moment because, listen, Pastor Derek, he insisted that I watched this movie with him some years ago, but I, 10 out of 10, do not recommend this movie, okay? I'm just letting y'all know right now, you want some bad theology around some angels and what's taking place. This Denzel's supposed to be this angel, right? The whole movie, he basically trying to get this girl to have an affair with him on, on this man of God, on the preacher. I said, surely not. Not in this house. I wish an angel would come for my bri-bri. You dig what I'm saying? Angels can get put in a chokehold too. For Jesus. 
you know, I've, I've witnessed these things from the unseen realm, you know, the supernatural. The, this is what's been portrayed to me. This is where my mind goes. And, and also, maybe you've seen this as well, but we got these little things when I was growing up, these statues. Anybody seen these statues? They're like the, the angel set. They're always naked for some reason, always naked. So I didn't really understand, and, and maybe you can relate, but like this can be easy to turn you off from really thinking around the supernatural, around the unseen, around angels. It can make you think like, you know what? What I see is what I get. What I see is what exists. But I just want to be honest with you. There is something shown in the scriptures. There is a realm that exists that you and I cannot see that actually collides with and interacts with the realm that we can see. The reality is that the Bible shows us the life of the believer and the church of Jesus Christ is full of divine intervention, supernatural encounters, and even at times, angelic visitation. For God's purposes, your benefit, and ultimately his glory. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. That divine intervention that, that God would, would intervene and, and he would come through. And so what the title of my message today is, is heavenly help. Lean to your neighbor and tell him, I need some heavenly help. I need some heavenly help. <laughs> Wives, look at your husband and tell him, you need some heavenly help. <laughs> you know, before we jump in uh, to this passage in the scriptures, you know, I just want to give some definition around angels. And uh, angels, they're spiritual beings created by God to serve and worship him. Uh, similar to us humans, but different than us. And I'll touch on that throughout this message. Uh, today, I need to mention this, is going to be more of a teaching uh, sermon. So really important for you to take notes. I'm going to cover some content and information that you'll want to revisit. But angels, they're powerful beings who many times in the Bible appear to people and have come as messengers and also have come as rescuers from the Lord in situations for people. And so we're going to go to the book of Acts, chapter 12, verse 5 through 24. If you have your Bibles, go to that Acts, chapter 12, verse 5 through 24. Let me give you a little bit of context before we pick up. King Herod is ruling at this time, and he's laying violence against those who belong to the church. He killed James, brother of John, with the sword, and he saw that it was pleasing to the Jews, so he arrested Peter. So Herod is laying violence against the church. He kills uh, James, sees that the Jews who are hating on uh, the disciples of Jesus and Jesus, it's pleasing to them. So he decides he's going to arrest Peter. And Peter is about to have this experience throughout this situation that is going to involve some divine intervention and some angelic visitation. This is where we pick up in verse five. This is what it says. It says, so Peter was kept in prison. But earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Don't miss that, church. Now, when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. They made sure Peter was on lockdown. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side and woke him saying, get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands, and the angel said to him, dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, wrap your cloak around yourself and follow me. And he went out and he followed him. He did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. Peter thought he was seeing a vision. 
When they had passed the first and second guard that came to the iron gate leading to the city, it opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left them. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Let me just recap events taking place just within these verses. Peter, he is arrested, he's put in prison, and he's about to face uh, some, some pretty severe consequences, probably death as Herod would bring him out to the Jews the next day. But God decides to intervene, divinely intervene by use of an angel. But I don't want to miss what this verse starts off with, with this passage starting off with. It says, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Church, can I just encourage you for a moment? Your prayers are very important. Can I just encourage you for a moment? You're not just praying words to air. You're not just saying things to not be heard. Your prayers are important. And something happens when the church of Jesus Christ petitions before God and we pray and we say, God, let your will be done. God is seeing, he sees it and he's moved by it and he will move on behalf of it. So church, pray for that person. Pray for that person locked up. Literally, it could be a family member, a child, whoever the case may be. Pray for their soul, the salvation of their soul pray for the person bound by sin pray for the person who is addicted pray for the the wayward son the 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 child that you have running away from the faith pray 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 because i am convinced that god is pleased by this and that he will move by your prayers further on in the verse and this is what i'm convinced of as well it says that that very night This is when this divine intervention had taken place, right before Peter is about to go out that next day, right? It says that very night. Here's what I'm convinced, is that God has a habit of showing up on time through divine intervention and sometimes angelic visitation. God has a habit of showing up right at the midnight hour where you think the situation is assured, where you think, surely I cannot make it out of this. When you think, oh, surely I'm going to face whatever is ahead of me. I am convinced that we serve a God who knows exactly when to intervene at the right time to give his name the ultimate glory. And have you ever been in a situation that surely you should not have made it out of? And right at the brink of what seemed to be an inevitable scenario, somehow you were delivered out of it. And now here you are sitting with a body of believers or tuning in online to hear the word of God. It is not coincidence. It is divine intervention. You shouldn't have made it out of that car wreck that you were in. You shouldn't have made it past that illness that you were diagnosed with. You shouldn't have made it, but here you are. And it is not coincidence. God is divinely intervening in your life. This is divine intervention, that he would get the glory intervening on your behalf to your benefit for his purposes. Now let's talk about angels. In verse 9, it says, he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. And uh, I just want to make note of this. Peter is not really tripping for thinking that this could potentially be a vision. Uh, Angels can actually appear in both physical and also in dreams and visions. This is laid out through the scriptures. 
I'll show you. In, in Matthew 1 and 2, think about this, this story. Joseph is visited in a vision by an angel, tells him that, hey, Mary is pregnant with the Son of God, Jesus. And then following that event, he's also given uh, an angel visitation in a dream where the angel instructs Joseph to take Mary and Jesus to flee to go to Egypt so that he can escape the hand of Herod, killing all the young males two and under. So that's, that's dreams and visions. But also, angels appear in the physical within the scriptures. Think Genesis 19. Two angels, they come to Sodom and Gomorrah. They go to, to Lot and his family. They rescue Lot and his family from the destruction, from facing the severe destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. They guide them out. So the biblical precedence shows that angels can, can take place in both the physical and also dreams and visions. But Peter, he's not wrong for his initial thoughts. Reason being is that Peter has already had some supernatural occurrences and some divine intervention take place through visions. In fact, just two chapters before in Acts 10, Peter, he receives this vision from God and it's this sheep being laid down and there's these animals and, and God is telling Peter, do not call unclean what I have made, cl made clean and called clean. Telling Peter he's going to go minister to the Gentiles. So Peter's already had an experience, a supernatural experience, uh, an occurrence through a vision. So he's, his initial thoughts are not necessarily wrong to think that this moment was a vision. However, this time it would be a physical intervention, a physical interaction with an angel. What does that mean for you and I, believer? That means this, that God can and will use angels to aid you in the times where circumstances, situations, and powers are against you. Understand that God will, will intervene. Maybe you're facing some scenarios, a situation, whatever the case may be. God can and he will intervene on your behalf. And while God is orchestrating and, and lining things up to, to show up right at the right time, believe it, if you didn't know this, but I'm sure you did, there are also things, while those things are working in the unseen realm, there's also a, a flip side to that in the unseen realm where things are actually working against you as well. But you can be assured that God will divinely intervene and what does that mean you should do it means that you should pray that God would send divine help to intervene in your situations that you would pray that God would send divine help to intercede on behalf of your friends your family members your children that God would send angels to intervene that he would protect you that they would protect you that they would fight on your behalf the things that are seen and unseen that God would send divine help on your behalf he can do it and he has done it and he will do it. Ask God to send angels to intervene, to protect, to rescue, to fight on your behalf. In verse 11, it says, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. I love Peter's response. You know, sometimes what can happen is when we experience the supernatural work of God, the miraculous take place, we can fixate our mind on that of which God has just used. But I love Peter's response, that he didn't say, glory to you, angel. Oh my gosh, you're so cool. Oh my gosh, whatever. He said, no, now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. Here's what I want to let you know. Angels aren't to receive your worship. God is. 
And when God divinely intervenes on your behalf using angels or means that are of the supernatural, we have to be careful to do two things. One, not make an idol of which that God is used, while also not forsaking God of the glory that he deserves. It can become so easy to be mesmerized by the things of the supernatural. It can become so easy to get so caught up in angels visiting and, and prophecy being delivered and, and miracles taking place that we shift our focus onto those things. And God, I'm, I'm only praying to seek your hand versus seeking your face, seeking your desire, seeking your will. And though it is not wrong to, to seek the things and to be revealed the things of the kingdom of God, we care much more about or we should care much more about seeking the will of God in his face and what he desires versus the means to which he uses things. I remember being 15 years old, first giving my life to Christ. And I heard stories from my youth leaders talking about how they'd be in a worship gathering similar to how we are right now. And, and they said an angel would visit and that it would minister. And, and I was like, oh my gosh, wow, that's, that's wild. And so what I began doing was I began pursuing that same experience. All of my prayer life was that. All of my prayer life, I had fixed my attention. It was not God, thank you for today. It was God send your angel today. I want to see an angel in Walmart. I want to see an angel at Best Buy. I want to see an angel at Dunkin' Donuts. I want to see, they probably don't go to Dunkin' Donuts, but I want to see an angel at, they probably at Chick-fil-A though, for real, for real. I'm not joking. <laughs> not today. That's accurate. It's the truth. <laughs> but we have to be careful. And we have to make sure that when we are praying, we are first letting our prayers begin with thankfulness for God. We have to make sure that our prayers are filled with, with God's desire and his will, that people would come to know him, that all would be saved and none would perish, that we would pray for the lost, that God would divinely intervene on behalf of the lost. Because if I'm praying for anything, me knowing Jesus, if, if I'm asking for God to intervene and, 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 and send, I want him to do it more so for the person who does not yet know him and has not come into salvation versus me just wanting this cool experience with an angel or whatever he may use. Let our prayers be filled with the desperation of his presence. Because, God, I don't even care for an angel to visit me, gifting to be used, prophecy to be delivered. If your presence is not with me, I want to see your face, God, not just your hand. It's all about priority. It's not wrong to seek those things. But we cannot allow it to get in the way of what ultimately matters. If and when God intervenes by means of his choosing, we have to remember to first give his name glory. In verse 12, Peter, when he realizes this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind. Anybody ever heard that before? You are out of your mind. When Bree asked me to buy another thing on Amazon, you are out of your mind. We are broke. 
But she kept insisting that it was so and kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking. And when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. I want to zero in on that line. I know we joked about it, but they said to her, you are out of your mind. You know, divine intervention and angelic visitation can be hard to believe. It can be hard to believe. People are not always going to acknowledge or believe what God is doing. It's especially true in the world and your secular places where you operate in your workplace. No, God's not doing that. There's no way that happened to you. There's no way. But sometimes it can even happen within the body of Christ. It was true then, and it's especially true today. We live in a modern society. And humans, us humans, we like to believe what we can rationalize. We like to believe what we can rationalize. But just because you can't rationalize it doesn't mean it isn't true. And on the contrary, just because you can rationalize it doesn't mean it's true. A lot of things in culture and society right now trying to get you to believe, and they, they're trying to back it up with some reasoning. They're trying to give you a reason and, and logic to try to buy into it. But let me assure you, just because they can, do not be confused. It is still full of deceit. I told this story before. When I was a kid, my mom told me my dad was 50 cent. And um, it made sense to me. She convinced me of this. She gave some reasoning. She said, no, his real name, Curtis Jackson, you're Xavier Jackson. I said, oh, it makes sense. 50 Cent is my dad. I proceeded to go to school and tell everybody, yo, my dad, 50 Cent, you know? I said, they're like, no, no, you're a liar, you're a liar. I said, no, you know. I came home crying. Came home crying. My mom, she was laughing at me. She was like, your dad's not really 50 Cent. But to me, it made sense. There's some rationale behind it. Last name being Jackson, my name being... But here's the thing. Just because there's some rationale behind it doesn't mean it's always true. Things can be full of deceit even though they have rationality behind them. But back on the, it's hard to believe, angelic visitation and divine intervention. We live in modern times. For you and I, we live in a different era and generation and time than the ancient world. We have modern technological advancement. We have more reason to try to explain more things every day. So it just perpetuates the idea and the default of if it cannot be explained, it must not be real or it must not have happened. Even when it comes to the things of God. If they questioned it then, we definitely question it now and we also criticize it now as well. But let me just remind you, follower of Jesus, we have to come back to the essence of what Christianity is, which it is faith. Faith that God is who he said he is, that he'll do what he said he'll do, that Jesus born fully man, fully God, the incarnation who would die on a cross for your and my sin, raised from the grave three days later, and then ascend to the right hand of God. This faith is built on faith. Christianity is built on faith. So what do you need to do? You need to ask God to do a work in your heart 
that he would soften your heart. The things that are, are laid out in scripture that he's promised, that he's done, that he will do. You have to soften your heart to God. I want to receive it. I want to believe for it. I want to, I want to see it. Ask God for the faith to believe for the things you once believed for, but now have become a skeptic of. Now, we have to be careful. We have to use wisdom and discernment. Just because somebody comes up to you and they say, oh, God is, it doesn't mean 100% you have to just believe it right off the bat. We have to be careful to bounce our experiences off of the scriptures. We have to be careful to take these things to our spiritual leaders, to our pastors, to our block group leaders, etc. But we cannot just live a life of skepticism, not believing that God is working in this world, working in this realm, working in our lives. Ask God to soften your heart and to believe for the things you once believed for. Furthermore, in this verse, they thought it was Peter's angel. They thought that Peter had died and then he had crossed into or transcended into this form of an angel. And in fact, the same Greek word to describe the angel that they're referring Peter to be is the same Greek word that's used for the angel first mentioned in this passage, the one that, that rescued him. And it's easy for someone to read a verse like this, for us to read a verse like this, and to assume that the passing of this life would lead us to become angels. But I'm just going to debunk a little bit of this myth here, especially if you learned about angels and such from Hollywood, the preacher's wife, angels in the outfield, etc. We often think that when we die, we pass into eternity, we put on our wings, we pick up our halo, and we play our harp. But that's not the truth, at least not what's shown in Scripture. Angels and humans are actually different beings. Did you know that? Angels and humans are different beings. I used to think when we transcended into eternity, we also would become angels. But it's not the case. God created both angels and humans, and he did create us similarly, but he did not create us the same. That's important. He created us similarly, but he did not create us the same. Michael Heiser, he's a theologian that recently just passed, but he does a great work and study on the unseen realm and the things that are mentioned throughout scripture, the thread of divine intervention and things that are taking place outside of what you and I can see. He's done a great work. He's written some books and uh, he has some resources. And I'm not gonna be able to get into everything today, uh, but if you wanna look into it furthermore, uh, look up some of his resources. However, he wrote a book called Angels. He wrote a book called Angels, and this is what he said. He said, yet God shared his attributes with us, humans, as he first did with them, angels. What are like God and like us, think about these attributes, that we share with our creator, intelligence, creativity, emotions, rationality, and volition, and not to mention free will. They're like us in these ways. However, we do differ. We are different. We differ in placement of creation and, and timeline while also being created within time, space, and earth. Also having physical embodied limitations. Angels, they, they can visit people in dreams. They can visit people in visions. I don't know how many of you can visit somebody in a dream or a vision. I would go to say none of you. Um, except me and my wife's dreams, of course. So all she does is dream about me, but that's not me really visiting. It's just she can't get her mind off me. And um, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Just kidding. 
But they also have access to knowledge due to access to God in the unseen realm, as well as many lifespans and eons that they have. So, so understand that we are similar. However, we are different. We are like them and they are like us, but we are not the same. And it will also be fair to mention that, that it would seem as if we're less than that they have some power, that they can transcend, you know, whatever our physical limitations don't allow us to do, that they, they can visit in dreams. It, 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 can all, it can almost seem like we're less of a being than these people are, that we take place in a lesser way. But the truth of the matter is this, is that we grab hold of a promise in Jesus Christ that now we know in part, but will experience in full once we cross into eternity. In fact, part of that promise and assurance is that we will outrank angels. Did you know that? That you and I, when all this comes to an end, you and I, we will be given the position to outrank angels. In fact, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 3, Paul writes this. He says, do you not know that we are to judge angels? You didn't believe me. I just told you. It's right there. Paul writes it. But what's interesting is that Paul, he's writing to this church in Corinth and he gives them this insight to things further ahead for their lives because he's addressing the issue that's taking place amongst themselves. There's some issues that they would have matters taking place, uh, disputes among one another, and they would try to take it to the world to judge, secular judges to judge, unrighteous people to judge. And, and, and he's like, Paul's like, what, what are you doing? These things that, that you're, you're arguing about, these things that you're going, why, why are you taking this? Do you not know the position that you hold? Do you not know that the value that you have, anything that you have uh, happening amongst you, we should be able to, to dispute this amongst ourselves. You should be able to dispute this as mature followers of Jesus Christ. And this is important. Because understanding God's value for humanity, that you will one day outrank angels, should make you carry yourself with a maturity that has an eternal perspective in mind. Believer, you have a value in God's sight and eyes that he has decided to place you above angels, that you would judge angels. We have to fix ourselves to operate with a maturity with that perspective. What does that mean? It means within the body of Christ, we should not be petty. We should not be unrepentant. We should not be prideful. Poor Richmond Northwest, listen to me. You should not be prideful. You should not be petty. You should not be unrepentant. We've been given a value, a position, and an authority that calls a higher standard of ourselves to operate as full followers of Jesus and mature followers of Jesus. You have been placed as co-heirs with Christ. Act like it. Verse 18. It says, Now when day came, there was no little disturbance among soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries in order that they should be put to death. Then he went from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and, and they came to him with one accord, and having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of God and not of man. 
Immediately, an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. And he was eaten by worms and breathed his last, but the word of God increased and multiplied. I want to highlight in on verses 22 through 23 for a moment. The people are shouting to Herod, the voice of God and not of man. And immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. This is wild. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory. Did you know that pride has taken down humans and angels alike? Pride has taken down humans and angels alike. Here's a moment where the people of Tyre and Sidon, they're, they're flattering Herod. And he's receiving the praise, the praise of people equating him with God. Not the, the voice of man, the voice of God. They're, they're flattering him because he held resources for them in food. They were dependent upon him. And he decides rather than giving the glory to God who deserves it, he's going to keep the glory. Pride has crept in. It reminds me of a similar story of an angel. The, the fallen angel, Lucifer, otherwise known as the devil. Lucifer, he becomes prideful, obsessed with his beauty and thought of himself in the place of God. His judgment was to be cast out of heaven and ultimately his demise. Listen to me, church. Pride is a nasty thing. It is a thing that has crept its way into people's hearts for as long that we know. And it has taken down both people in the physical realm as well as angels in the unseen realm. Do not allow pride to creep its way into your heart. Do not allow yourself to think so highly of yourself that you do not need God, that you do not need to be humble, that you don't need people. It will do a damage to not only you, but also the things around you, the people around you. Paul, in fact, convinced of this, he writes in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, when he's instructing them on who to appoint as overseers in the church, he instructs them like this, he must not be a recent convert or he may be puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. You don't wanna fall into the same judgment that the devil fell into because of pride in his life. So what does that mean for us, believer? It means we have to be proactive about practicing humility. It means that we have to take a posture of not thinking less of ourselves, but thinking of ourselves less. That we would inconvenience ourselves to serve one another, that we would inconvenience ourselves to come into the house of God to serve, to be willing hands and vessels. Jesus, use me in the way, even in the ways that I don't, I don't wanna do it, I don't feel like doing it. You have to place things in your life that force you to practice humility. It means apologize when, when you're wrong, and even apologize sometimes when you don't even think you're wrong. Because the reality is this, 
None of us are fully justified. You may have all reason to think that you are fully. There is one man who is fully justified in not being wrong and not doing anything wrong. His name is Jesus Christ. And you know what Jesus did? He humbled himself. He practiced humility. He came to earth and he decided to die on a cross for you and I, not for his wrongdoing, for your and my wrongdoing. We have to practice humility and get that pride out of our hearts. Verse 24, it says this, and I got to close. It says, but the word of God increased and multiplied. You can be assured of this, believer, is that God will accomplish his will despite his creation shortcomings because he rules over it all. I mentioned God is orchestrating and he's working things out both in the physical and the unseen realm. He's divinely intervening on your behalf to, to make sure that, that you can experience his purposes for your benefit and, and ultimately his glory. And while he's working those things, there's also things working against you. But the good news is that God rules over all of it. You can find confidence in that. Some of you, you've, you've been wrestling, battling with things in your mind and, and anxiety and, and depression in your soul. You have great turmoil. You're like, I don't know what's going on. There are things at work, powers at work in the unseen realm against you. But the good news is that the God of the universe is working for you. He is working it out for you. He is on your behalf. He is, he is trying to be to your, I mean, God is so good. He's working it out for you for ultimately his glory. I just see it fitting to read this scripture as we talk about language of angels and things unseen and powers at work it's from Romans 8 verse 38 Paul writes this he says for I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Take confidence in that today, believer, that if you are in the Father's love, if you are in his arms and his hands, it doesn't matter the things that are working against you, both in the physical and the unseen. You have the God of the universe working for your benefit. He is working it out for you. He will divinely intervene on your behalf. And maybe you haven't considered it, just how active God is at work in your life. You haven't considered it because you can't see it or you haven't seen it. But let me assure you, God is working things out. He is orchestrating things. Don't, don't give the universe more credit than it deserves. Don't give coincidence more credit than it deserves. There is a God who's working things out in both the seen and unseen on your behalf. Thanks so much for joining us today. I especially wanna thank those of you who give generously to help us revive every block. If you enjoyed this message, you can subscribe, share it with your friends, screenshot it and post your social stories and tag us at The Block Church. We'd love to hear from you and how you found this encouraging and inspiring. Thanks again. God bless you.